Well, good evening. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And I want you to think about for a moment the best trip that you've ever been on. Maybe it was a vacation or a family trip. It's probably pre-COVID, uh, obviously. But the best trip that I ever went on was with my wife on our honeymoon. Um, we went to this place called Lake Tahoe. And for most people on the East Coast, may not be familiar with Lake Tahoe, but if you live on the West Coast, you know uh, of the majesty, if I can use that word, of Lake Tahoe. It's this like beautiful lake. There's mountains, so you got the lake and the mountains, um, but also it experiences kind of all four seasons, so you can go there in the winter and ski and snowboard. The spring, there's like horseback riding. Uh, the summer, there's all the lake activities of boats and all that, uh, jet skis and all that kind of thing. And uh, in the fall, there's hiking. So it's one of those beautiful places in, the, in America that anytime you go, it's, it's going to be really great. And as we were going there on our honeymoon, we were kind of looking at the top things to do. And uh, the top thing, according to TripAdvisor at the time, was to just drive around the lake. And I thought, I don't know if I want to spend like a whole day of our trip here just driving around the lake. I mean, that doesn't sound too exciting. Um, but, you know, we went with the experts, we went with the online reviews, and, you know, we, we spent four, five, six hours driving around this lake, and at various points, we would get off and take in the view. And I quickly realized why driving around Lake Tahoe was the number one rated activity in this area, because no matter where we went, the various vantage points, all different, were all breathtaking. One point, we're, we're kind of at the bottom looking up and you're seeing the mountains. Another point, we pull off to a spot and we're walking on the sand and it's romantic. And another spot, uh, you know, it's a little bit higher and you're looking out. And I quickly realized that this body of water was so beautiful that it didn't do it justice just to pull off and look at one point. I mean, we could have just gotten out of our car, taken it all in in 10 minutes and called it a day. But it was so vast, it was so beautiful that it deserved us going around the lake, spending a whole day and pulling off at these different vantage points. And I think Christmas is very similar to driving around Lake Tahoe. Why? Because if you think about it, when I was growing up, you're probably like me. I mean, Christmas Day, like that was it, right? Like you were looking forward to for months for that day that you opened up the presents and I mean, you got the new, I mean, for us, we always got something that was amazing, but then our neighbors always got something like a little bit more amazing, but you know, hey, I'm, I'm healed from that moment, those moments. Um, but how, even as a kid, I realized that with all the anticipation, with all the lead up, that just having the, the one day didn't feel like enough to, to take in all the gifts and to play with all the gifts that we got. And as I got older, I realized the importance of having a prolonged season to take in the beauty of Jesus coming to this earth. That one day, Christmas Day, doesn't do it justice. That we need a prolonged season, the Advent season, to really take in how great of a king that we have. And that's what Advent is. It's the word Advent means coming. And it's a period of time that we're in now where we celebrate the coming, the first coming of Jesus, but then also his second coming that is come in the future. And so last week, Pastor AJ uh, walked us through almost like an Old Testament survey, looking at these various Old Testament prophecies 
and how Jesus fulfilled those. And today, I want to talk to you about the practice of Advent. Because I think the problem is for, for myself and, and maybe for you watching at home is that we, we know inherently that Jesus is coming is a really big deal. But we become numb. Our, our vision becomes clouded. It becomes clouded with the busyness of, of buying gifts. It becomes clouded with the real challenges and even in some instances suffering that some of you are experiencing in this coronavirus season. Our vision of, of Jesus and his coming can be clouded by loneliness. And what happens is when our vision is obscured, we don't have the same sense of awe. We don't have the same worship or adoration that our king deserves. We don't have the same fire or zeal to tell others about this amazing gift in Jesus Christ. And so our worship and our proclamation, our evangelism is hindered. And normally when there's someone like me preaching in a moment like this, the solution that's presented is you gotta just do more. Like read your Bible more, pray more, go to church more, do more family devotions. And if you just do more, then you'll see Jesus more clearly. And if you're doing nothing, then that's probably a good solution to do a little bit more, to prepare your heart a little bit more. But I think there's another angle to all this that I want to talk to you about today. We're going to look at a man in the Bible named Simeon in Luke chapter 2, 25 through 35. So let's read that together. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. Verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that's opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Verse 25 makes it very clear, Luke, that this man, Simeon, was just that. He was just a man. We don't have any indication of what his occupation was. And I think the reason why is Luke doesn't see any importance of explaining who this man is other than the fact that he's just a man like you and I. He's just a normal Christian. He's doing the normal Christian things. He shows up to the temple, and we know that he was righteous and he was devout. He was just being a good Christian, reading his Bible, praying, coming to church. I'd imagine he was leading his family through family devotions. He was taking a, a, a period of time to focus his family's gaze on Christ. And as impressed and as encouraged as I am when I meet someone who is a new believer, someone who's just given their life to Christ, I mean, it's an exciting time 
to see the changes and they're sudden and they're quick and to see someone who was an enemy of God become a friend of God and they start reading the Bible and there's a hunger. As encouraging as that is, nothing encourages me more than a saint who has followed Jesus for their whole life and shown that kind of faithfulness over a long period of time, every day just getting up and doing what pleases God. And we have many of those in our church. Like I think of uh, Pastor Mark and his wife, Debbie, who founded this church decades ago, and here they are still faithfully serving God. Pastor Mark in our fall festival is out there with the kids sharing the gospel and kicking off our fall festival. His wife involved in our women's ministry. I think of people like Grandma Betty, who she's probably in the chat right now, just blowing it up. I mean, if you don't catch Grandma Betty at the 845 service, you can catch her at the 1045 or the 1245. She is on all day long just encouraging us believers. Or someone like Clarence Finney, who served with me uh, for uh, a while in the youth ministry, has served with youth as a mentor for decades. Or Chuck and Chris Harris who faithfully served in this house. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And what impresses me and encourages me about our family, some of these saints, is their faithfulness over years. And that was Simeon. Decade after decade, getting up and serving his God, reading the Bible, prayer. You know, in this season, there's something about preparation. Just doing the little things. Nobody is going to get up and congratulate you for getting up and reading the Bible. No one is going to throw you a party at your workplace for starting your day off in prayer. You're probably not going to get a parade or some kind of celebration for taking a moment with your family over dinner and celebrating this Advent season with a scripture reading. But it's these little acts of preparation that invite the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't just... Simeon's preparation. See, because I, I think sometimes we get into this rhythm where, you know, we're doing all the right things and, and you know, we're, we're doing our best to honor God. We're opening up the Jesus Storybook Bible with our kids or maybe we're doing the Jesse Tree with our family or going through a YouVersion Bible app. But it becomes kind of rote. It becomes just something that we do. But see, Simeon had not only preparation, but he had an expectation. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I love how the message version puts this part. It says the prayerful expectancy of help. Simeon had a faith. He had a hope that the comfort that Israel long awaited, these prophetic promises that Pastor AJ talked about, that the Messiah was to come. And so as he was going through these daily moments with his God, he had an expectation that he was going to see the Messiah. He added to his preparation and expectation of faith that what God would come and rescue his people. See, this wasn't a man who lived in like a monastery or even, we don't even know if he was like a full-time minister. We get the impression he was a normal guy just going about his normal business in, a, in an environment that was hostile to the, to the Christ, Christian faith. I mean, right in that moment, in that first century Palestine, there was this Roman empire that was suppressing and oppressing the Jewish people. And yet Simeon looked in hope for the comfort that would be 
the people of Israel and his in the Messiah. And in this season, while we're going through this coronavirus and all that comes with it, you're in good company with Simeon. That as you're trying to please God and just doing the normal Christian things, that if you'll add to your preparation an expectation, there'll be a revelation. And that's what happened for Simeon because if you look at verses 25, 26, and 27, we see three references to the Spirit of God. It says in verse 25 that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, he came in the Spirit in the temple. See, when God sees someone who is prepared, who has a preparation, who's doing all the things to please God, who has an expectation, he can't, have, he can't help to get himself in the mix, to add his participation. The Holy Spirit rested on Simeon and opened his eyes. Now, I don't know if it was Simeon's preparation and expectation that invited God's participation or if it was God's participation that engendered in him an expectation. I think it was probably both. That as we're serving Jesus, as we're being faithful, God inspires us. He opens our eyes. He fuels us. And all of a sudden, what, become, what was just a kind of a normal moment, just, a, just a, a routine moment around family dinner time, or just another Sunday, all of a sudden, the presence of God comes, and he fills us, and he anoints us, and we see a little bit more of Jesus that we, than we saw before. It was just a normal Sunday, and he came in the spirit into the temple, and he has this revelation. Now, it wasn't his first revelation. He was having a normal quiet time with God, and and God spoke to him and said that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. God spoke to him a powerful promise, and he held on to that promise. And I don't know how long it took between the time God spoke to him and the time that he saw Jesus. I'd imagine he'd come into the temple every day thinking, maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the day that I get to see the Messiah. And, you know, he's worshiping and, and he's going through just kind of a normal, what was then a Saturday, what's now for us a Sunday, with an expectation, maybe today's the day. Maybe the, today's the day that I, that I see the Messiah. And on this Saturday, on this time, where there were parents bringing their kids, Mary and Joseph bringing their son, Jesus, to dedicate him. There was nothing about Mary and Joseph that would commend them as the parents of the Messiah. I mean, we know from Scripture that they were poor. They had brought an offering of of the least requirement because of where they were economically. I'd imagine they'd have like tattered clothes and they'd walk in there with other parents and other crying babies and there was nothing that would scream out from them that they were the Messiah. And yet, because Simeon came in to to the temple in the Holy Spirit, Because he had an expectation, he had a revelation that that was the Messiah. And he took this child in his hands, this baby, and he blessed God. He blessed God. See, when there's some preparation on your part in this season, and you add to that preparation an expectation of faith, God adds his spirit, his participation. And there's a revelation, and that revelation leads to adoration. 
to worship. You get a a picture of who Jesus is. And you can't help but to worship. And here this man is, and he's in the middle of the temple, and I'd imagine there are people all around him, but he doesn't care who's looking at him and who's watching him. He begins to lift his, his arms. Well, well, he has baby Jesus, and Mary's probably watching, so maybe he just lifted one arm, and he just worships because he recognizes who's in his arms. It's the Messiah. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. That word Lord, it's, it's a uh, very unique word because we see the word Lord all throughout the New Testament, but it's always a different word in the original language. It's curios. But here in Luke chapter 29 or verse 29 is one of only two times that, you, that Luke uses this word despotes for Lord. It's the same word that we get despot or dictator. It's a very negative word in English, but in Greek, it's a positive word. It's a word that means master or Lord or sovereign God. See, Simeon recognized that he was just a servant. He was just a mere human, and he had the privilege of carrying the Lord's Christ in his arms. And, he, and in that moment, he's completed his life's bucket list of seeing Jesus, everything else is thrown aside. He can die in peace because he is holding Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I mean, think about for a second what Simeon did not see. He didn't see Jesus as a teenager in the temple astounding the teachers. He didn't see Jesus walking on water. He didn't see Jesus feeding 5,000 with some loaves and some fish. He didn't see... Jesus casting out demons or cleansing lepers or raising the dead. He didn't see Jesus dying on the cross. All he saw was Jesus as a baby in his hands. And that was enough for him to worship. That was enough for him to say, God, I've seen it all. You can take me right now. Have you had a revelation of Jesus like that? Where you can't help but to give your adoration, your worship. There's something about seeing Jesus first. Now, I'm grateful for anyone who sees Jesus at any point in their life. I mean, I think of my grandparents who, towards their, the end of their life, my dad had the privilege of leading them to the Lord. And I am excited about the fact that I'm going to see them in glory. But there's something about seeing Jesus first, because when you see Jesus first, you can help others see Jesus And so when Simeon recognized Jesus first, he began to prophesy about who who else would see Jesus. He says in verse 31, you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. See, we have to see Christ. We have to have a revelation of Christ so others can have that same revelation. Simeon's worship, his adoration led to Mary and Joseph, them marveling. They're astounded. And in this time, as we're kind of going through our normal Christmas routines, having our moments with maybe family or friends or just by yourself worshiping God, is there something about the revelation that you've seen in your worship, the adoration that flows from your life, that leads to a marveling from people? That they recognize that you've seen the Christ. And you may not even have to say anything, 
but it's written all over your life. It's, it's the fragrance coming from your life is something that catches people's attention. First, he blessed God. He gives God his worship. But then he turns to Joseph and Mary, and he blesses Mary. See, his preparation combined with his expectation led to the Spirit's participation, led to a revelation, led to his adoration, and finally, a proclamation. See, when you get excited about who Jesus is, when you take in his beauty and his majesty and you start worshiping God, you can't help but tell other people. There's an overflow that comes out of your life where you can't keep it to yourself. He says this, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. He's prophesying about Jesus' life in front of his parents. He's saying there will be some people who are high and lofty and in these great positions and when Jesus comes and proclaims his authority and his kingdom, they'll be brought low. They'll be brought in their place. And there are others who are lowly and who are despised, kind of like you, Mary and Joseph, who now that the birth of the Messiah is here, now that his kingdom is here, you'll be brought up high. You'll be raised up. He prophesies Jesus' death and then he looks at Mary and he offers her these comforting words. He says, a sword will pierce through you as well. Now that doesn't seem very comforting, but think for a moment about Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, who raises him, who watches him blossom, who watches his ministry launch, who's seeing him raise people from the dead. I mean, can you imagine having a son that's perfect? And then she would go to this moment at the cross where she would watch her own son be crucified. Imagine the pain. Imagine the sorrow. Imagine the grief of watching your son whom you've raised die a gruesome death by a Roman crucifixion. And so God, because of Simeon's worship, he gives him a proclamation of comfort to prepare Mary for what's to come. And I'd imagine that as painful as that moment was to see her son die, she remembered those years, those words 30 years before of this man who prophesied this very moment. And there'd be some sense of peace, even in the pain, even in the, in the grief of knowing this was a part of God's plan. Who around you needs the comfort of the Holy Spirit? See, oftentimes we think that whether we get in the Bible or not, whether we come to a moment like a church service in faith or not is just about us, when in reality there are people around us, there are friends, there are family, there are coworkers who need to be comforted by the Holy Spirit, who God wants to use you to give a proclamation of hope and of comfort. You know, here recently I, um, I've been pretty diligent in... Uh, leading my family in just Christmas Advent devotions. And, you know, we've been going for a couple days now that, uh, you know, we're a couple days into December and have these moments together as, as a family. But somewhere along the way, I just kind of got caught in the routine. And one of my children, when I said, hey, it's time for our family devotions, for the first time I've ever heard this child say this, they said, Dad, I don't want to do that. That's boring. And I realized in that moment that something had to change, not in this child, but in me. Something had to change in my worship. 
There had to be more of an expectation. There had to be more of a revelation of who Jesus is because that moment is not boring. Jesus Christ coming into this world, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and giving us salvation for any who believe is not a boring message. It's a life-changing message. And something has to change in me so that those around me see the majesty of that gospel. I left that moment thinking, I am never going to have another boring family devotion again. Who are the people around you? Family, friends, coworkers, who are looking for hope, who are looking for comfort. And if you'll take your preparation, just getting in the Bible, praying, coming to church, doing the normal Christian things, if you'll add an expectation of faith, God will participate in that moment. He'll add his spirit. He'll anoint. He'll come with his presence in that moment. And it'll lead to a revelation for you and for those around you, which leads to adoration, a worship, a clearer picture of who Jesus is, and ultimately a proclamation so others can come and know this Jesus who we worship. Amen? Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is the greatest gift. And if we're honest, God, we are so often numb to how great this news is. We're so often blind to the majesty of God becoming flesh and dying for our sins. So Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you give us a revelation? Would you come in our midst, in those normal moments on a Sunday morning or around the dinner table with our family? Would you inspire us, Holy Spirit, to see? In Jesus' name, amen.